Hello, and welcome to today's podcast about percussive therapy. <laughs> so today's podcast is about percussive therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we have to talk about differences and all that. But before we do, last week, how do you feel coming out of last week, Eric? Last week was pretty good for me. I had a couple good wins like i've been doing much more focused on my gymnastics i really i've been like really leaning towards the planche so i've been really geeking out on like planche work even though i know it's super super hard i'm kind of pretty focused on getting one now i saw your geekiness unless on your stories yeah. yeah it was good but we'll see if it lasts i don't know that's such a long-term skill to obtain like it's not like I'm going to like lock it next week or next month. I keep talking trash about working up to an iron cross. I've gotten close a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. You still use your ring thing for it? Yeah, I play with the ring thing. Not as much as I need to though. Yeah. Those long-term scales are just, they're so grindy to like try to like isolate and you can like lose steam. Aside from that, I have had some new online clients that I've been working with that I'm pretty excited to work with. I'm trying to develop more systems. Like you know this and anyone listening... Like I've been a trainer for 10 years, an in-person trainer. I've only been an online coach for maybe two years. And during those two years, it's still like I didn't have a hell of a lot of guidance on like what's the best approach, the best way to like do, you know, like video assessments. How do you communicate? How often should you check in with people? Like all the little systematic things that we had as in-person coaches, I didn't really have them for online coaching. So I've been trying to develop my own systems. Having new clients come with me is kind of forcing me to do the work and kind of create my own systems and establish more of a solid foundation to be a better online coach. Right. Which has been exciting. Yeah. It's fun. Good. Yeah. Love it. Well, I took on a couple new clients that I'm excited about. One of them, 13-year-old kid, he's had an ACL tear, um, just showing him how to rehab his knee, hadn't... One of my clients, it's a chiropractor. She's virtually out of pain now, so another back pain issue dealt with. And uh, she sent me a few people to help with their issue. Um, one of them's a shoulder, one of them's got some hip stuff, the other one's another chiro with back stuff, which is, you know, they, the therapy that they do for people is a lot of leaning over the table and stuff. So it m makes sense, but it, it kind of sounds comical when you're like a chiropractor that needs help with their back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I always get really excited about that. But, you know, on the bigger picture, I got to meet my nephew for the first time. Mm -hmm. So Sarah's twin sister, Christy, had a little boy named Hendrick, and he's the cutest little thing. We got to got to see them out in old, so that was a big win. And then Sarah is coming up on Monday. She's going to be halfway on this pregnancy. Oh, that's fast. Yeah, it's fast for everyone but her. I'm very curious. <laughs> I know you're curious, but I'm very curious what number three's personality is going to be like because I've had the pleasure to distinguish the difference between like lucas versus will like personality and they are have like they do have like a uniqueness to them so i'm like what's this third one gonna be oh dude this is like open up a pack of cards yeah <laughs> like a booster pack of pokemon cards yeah except yeah. for i'm super old so it was marvel okay okay you know, before they had the technology to do the movies lou ferrigno was trying to act a fool as the hulk yeah yeah you know not a but how did you feel after the last podcast so we talked about should kids lift uh spoiler alert uh-huh yeah <laughs> spoiler they should lift yeah i just find it funny because like of course we want to take care of our kids and stuff but it's no different than prenatal or postnatal training like it needs to be customized based on their skill level yeah you know and even even then like prenatal postnatal there's so many people that have the belief of like oh i shouldn't i shouldn't work out while i'm pregnant i shouldn't do this after baby like i just need to do nothing like i just that's doing nothing safest well, I just find it funny when you get like a reference point, like nothing heavier than 10 pounds. And it's like nothing heavier than 10 pounds. That 10 pounds is different depending on the person. Yeah. So, you know, how are you going to say something like that? That sounds crazy to me. It's like 10 pounds for me is different than 10 pounds for William, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but even between adults, you know, 300 pounds on the bar for me is different than 300 pounds on the bar for yeah a lot it's, of it's very very relative so yeah it's crazy but end of the day kids should be lifting should we supervise them and have somebody that's educated on the matter yes should we be grinding them into the ground trying to live our dreams through Negative. them that would be a no it should be something that they are excited and happy to do it should be fun you can make a game out of it and keep it safe they got to play by the rules well and i think one of the things that stan's mentioning we just kind of touched on it at the end 
the risks of them not exercising and learning how to lift far outweigh the risks of them doing it, even if they don't do it with somebody that's that good at it. Yeah. Do you think anybody's ever like lifted weights? Uh, this is just a dumb question. This is a very opinionated, controversial question. I'll be like, do you think anybody's lifted weights, lost weight, gotten stronger, and felt worse about themselves? <laughs> like lost confidence or felt like not accomplished or like felt worse like oh man i would say that's process specific like they got there by doing a whole bunch of drugs or like dysfunctional behaviors maybe they did feel worse but yeah dumb question dumb yeah question. yeah let's not the, get too far into that because we can kill that opinionated but, question yeah let's talk about massage guns okay so starting out with massage guns we got a couple here we got the uh thera gun uh, i think this is the pro thera gun yeah, it's a it's good one. And Mine is the Opov Pro M3. Ooh, the M3. Yeah, it's better Did than the BMW make it. It's or? the it's better than the M1 or 2, I think, and it's better than the M regular 3 because it's the Pro. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's science. Yeah, hashtag. Um, so these here, just to get our terms specific, you'll hear vibration therapy and percussive therapy talked about. Percussive therapy is going to be things like this that when you see our reel and it's going to be good So you should see it um, When you see the reel in slow motion, you're going to see the ripple of uh, Soft tissue happen when we percuss that tissue slow motion So that's percussive therapy and then there's also going to be Vibration therapy, which is usually like a ball or a foam roller that vibrates mm. um there's there's pros and cons to each actually. Which I've never actually seen. I have one. Do you? I've never seen a foam roller or like a lacrosse ball or anything to that level that vibrates. I've never seen a vibrating. Yeah, somebody gave me this big softball looking one that you can turn the vibration on, mm -hmm. and uh, it works really good for isometric ramping type stuff. Yeah. So, okay, so a bit of background here. We are talking about specifically something for therapy. So the question we're posing is are massage guns worth the investment and because and the question is framed that way there's a specific kind of are they worth the investment i'm curious if they claim like do they actually do everything they claim to do should okay. i go should i go over the claims i want to hear the claims let's let's hit the claims so i basically like anytime we researched what was the last thing bcaa's i researched all like a bunch of like multiple supplement BCAAs. companies and <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to see how they're marketing it. So I looked at these massage guns marketing and they're like injury prevention and recovery, promote blood circulation, releases lactic acid, improves flexibility and muscle plasticity, reduces inflammation and breaks down scar tissue. One of them said economical advantage for the fact that you don't have to pay a professional practitioner to actually go to work on you. You can just do it quickly by yourself. Like it's a, it's a massage gun and it'll hit you harder and theoretically faster than what your massage therapist could do so <clears throat> let's start with that one is that fair start economical with the economical the economic advantages so we're going to talk about the pathways that this is going to act on we're going to talk about all the other claims but first and foremost i actually don't really care what the tool is if you think you can wield it like a trained professional you're probably mistaken because I've seen a lot of people get these and they're like, oh, I got this pain in the front of my shoulder. I'm going to hammer it with this thing, but it doesn't go away. And it's like, oh, yeah. Well, just so you know, if you have capsular tension in your shoulder, that's a rear part of the shoulder issue. But you feel it on the front side. So a closing angle pinch, like somebody going into shoulder flexion, ow, pinch. That's an issue of the posterior capsule not opening up. Mm -hmm. So posterior capsule is tight. So you get a pinch at the front. So an untrained person or somebody who just is guessing which is what most of it is would start hammering on the front of the shoulder being like oh it's tight i got to deal with it mm -hmm. so really when you start talking about economical i don't think it's a big jump to say listen a therapist you put the same tool in the hands of a trained therapist it's probably more valuable could we agree on that yeah my headspace when i go to the economical advantages kind of was thinking the same thing like from a bunch of the the articles that I was reading that I agree with was like, yeah, if you get one of these, you should probably go and see your massage therapist and be like, can you give me some general guidance on how to use this? Which I personally have not done. Like when I like when I did buy this, I bought it more as a toy. It was cheap on sale, good price, and I want to screw around with it. But I haven't like used it like focused and isolated 
nor do I know how or where or all the tools that came with it, like all the different uh, little massage heads on them. Like, like yeah. I don't know. They just, that one feels good in this location. Right. But da, 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 da. Yeah. So if we talk about the economics of it, sure, it's cheaper than a massage. Like you could, you buy a really expensive one. Like the Theragun Pro that I have is not cheap. Baller. No. <laughs> well, I got it on sale. Sure you did. You know, Big money banks. Anyways, so, but anyways, even if it's, let's say you're paying 500 bucks for one of these things, how many massages is that? Maybe five tops. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, so I can see where they're coming from with that. But my real issue is if you don't have direction to where you should be targeting, we can just be doing a whole bunch of guessing and that's wasted time often. I think it would be fair to say too that the comparison really matters on what you're economically comparing it to. If you're trying to say it's the equal to a massage therapist, you're probably mistaken. But if it's economically, you get a cheap one. Like I think mine was like 40 or 50 bucks. Economically, if I got a cheap one and I like gunning myself before and after a workout and it just makes me feel better, then maybe, yeah, that's maybe okay. it's worth it. Yeah, so my biggest issue with that one is if you think you can replace a trained professional, you're probably mistaken. I think that's fair to say. If you have the guidance of a trained professional saying, hey, you have an issue specifically here and I want you to take care of that tissue, then all of a sudden that that argument bears a lot more weight. Yeah, so the specifics matter. So, you know, Context. the challenge is what are we actually doing and why, which I think segues into... Okay, what, what are we doing with therapy? What's the goal? Because for me, I get a little bit fired up on this topic because I'll have somebody say, oh, I'm just tight, I need to stretch. And I'm like, okay, so your position is that stretching is going to alleviate the dysfunction at that joint? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, tell me why. And well, if we don't know what we're treating, why we're treating it, then who knows? It's guessing. This has also upset you for years. Years. I've been years. in courses where you're teaching people and you're like, who, who stretches every day? And people are like, me. And you're like, how's that going for you? Do you like more flexible than the rest of us? And they're like, uh. So here, let's, let's back it up and get it a little bit less fired up here. So the body is going to respond to things that it's given as far as stimulus. The question is, what is responding? So... When you say, what is the goal of training? Well, essentially, we're training our brain. So your brain actually has an axon that goes down to a motor unit. And that particular motor unit, set of muscle cells, is going to be activated when your brain asks it to be. Mm -hmm. That's fair, right? So somebody that says, well, I just have tight hamstrings. A, you're assuming that that's just how you were born, which is probably not true. B, you're assuming that it's just a mechanical issue. Like, oh, my hamstring is somehow shorter than yours. Like that hamstring was smart enough to know that it should tighten up for a reason independently. Oh, it's just shorter in general, which yeah. is not true. It's a neurological component. Mm -hmm. So your brain is asking for it to be short. What if your brain is asking your hamstring to be short because your lumbar can't act the way that it needs to? Mm -hmm. So it's asking your hamstring to tighten up to hold a particular position. Let's say we loosen that up and then we go try to do something and we don't have any understanding why it was tight in the first place. The chances of you having an issue are higher. Mm -hmm. So the concept first is, okay, well, the body is going to respond to two things. A, it's going to be a biochemical response, meaning, you know, my muscles are going to be sore after a workout. I have like an upregulation of creatine kinase, which is like a muscular damage kind of marker that they use. And it's like, okay, so that soreness is there specifically because of that chemical byproduct. Or it's going to be a structural issue, which comes back to your brain. My brain is saying this needs to be tight here to, for some reason. It could be a lot of things. But if we're not assessing and we're just going to randomly stretch the hamstrings, we actually have the opportunity to do more harm than good. So the first thing to understand when we talk about all of this is, okay, so it's going to be bio, biomechanical or, or biochemical. And or it's going to be neurological. So biochemical or neurological. The way that your brain asks your muscles to function, you can change by giving your body better awareness and control. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what pre-frames a lot of this for me. It's like, well, you know, I have, I have a bad shoulder. It's sore on the front. Um, so I just need to stretch more. I'm like, cool. So what specifically are you going to stretch? Oh, the front, because it's tight. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Have you thought about seeing somebody to assess the shoulder and see what's missing there? And I've seen it. 
they they try to do a rotation with their shoulder and they're missing the entire back range. I'm like, the problem seems like it's not that front part. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like you actually need to figure out how to get your arm rearward. Yeah. So this whole thing comes back to what is the actual thing we're trying to accomplish? And what we are trying to accomplish is we want our brain to operate our tissues better. So I think everything gets framed by that. Mm-hmm. So from there, we've talked about, okay, well, what exactly is the question? The question is, is it worth it, right? And does it do what it claims? Those are the, it's kind of a two-part question. So framing it that way, it's like, okay, so having a therapist is likely going to help me so I know the area. So economically viable, I'll give it a meh, M-E-H. Meh. So what's the next one there? We, we have a few different things that it claims. Let's some talk about them, that. Some of them run in. A lot of it can be boiled down to like, like moving the fluid around, like flushing the fluid out, like promoting oxygenated, like rich blood and like flushing lactic acid and things like that. So, so that's circulation, a lot of, a lot of it being circulation. Okay. So with lactic acid, does lactic acid sit in the muscle? Yeah. It just sits there. Just sits and hangs out. Why are you trying to hurt me? <laughs> <laughs> so lactate is essentially buffered and, and swished out of the muscle as, as soon as it's created. Yeah. It's not something that's just going to sit in your muscle, nor is it the the function that actually causes muscle damage. It's actually an inhibitor. Mm-hmm. And the liver will recycle it back into carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So that's that's lactate. So clears lactic acid. It's not sitting in your muscles in the first place. That one, good luck finding research on it. So the massage gun doesn't just pump it out of the pump it out of the section that location that you're pumping no and in in fact i would actually say using it right afterwards clearing all the byproducts that we've worked so hard for Mm -hmm. is probably not a great idea you probably want to give some space after your workout before you use it okay but usually most of the research that they've done on this is talking about circulation so like the lactate thing is a real hard sell for me Mm -hmm. but let's let's talk about circulation circulation is that fair do it me yeah okay how does circulation happen in the body? We have our arteries take blood out, right? And that's via blood pressure. Mm-hmm. The way that the blood comes back up is a system of valves. So like a varicose vein means a valve is busted so it can't get up. So mostly movement is responsible for compressing the veins to push blood up to the next little valve that stops it. Yeah. So circulation can be massively changed by something like compression the positive um positive force you could say negative force like cupping pulling out as well to open up space and then when you release it would compress but usually our body responds by you know muscular contraction will push blood back up to the heart and and reoxygenate it and then pump it out again Mm -hmm. so as far as circulation i would say that this is an absolute truth um when they research circulation it's like well does it get more circulation there i don't think there's any question like i don't even think that that's a question that they would pose in research being like hey can can i actually cause annoyance at that area to get circulation to improve the answer is yes like it's the answer is just straight up yes they're not gonna they're not gonna say well does it improve circulation it does and can that be a good thing I would say, yeah, it's an irritant, just like massage. Yeah. An irritant is going, and compression is going to cause a, a change in circulation. Yeah. So that one, I think that's fair. That's a fair assertion. So to that point, what I was trying to search for when I was researching this, like, okay, it, it may aid in circulation. Exactly how beneficial is that going to be towards muscle soreness and recovery, though? I was looking for like a, like a precise answer, like... It improved this by 17% because if these guns are as expensive as people like as they are like anywhere from 50 to $400 if somebody's buying a $400 gun are they only buying 2% of a, a kick or are they buying 20% of a kick so hard to find yeah so there was a couple studies um, one by Lou and others in 2019 yeah and they were talking about significant reduction in um, soreness from 22 to 48 to 72 hours intervals. Mm-hmm. So they said significant reduction. They were doing that based on a perceived scale yeah. of soreness. Um, so biggest difference in muscle soreness with that study was seen at 48 hours. Being so it reduced. Yeah. So biggest difference between somebody who wasn't using percussive therapy versus somebody who was, uh, was seen at 48 hour mark. Okay. So 
I think that one's that one's okay. But how um, how much was that perceived? Like if they perceived soreness at a seven, did it knock them down to a five, or did it eliminate? Um, so basically, they're. Oh, I need to get back into exactly what the study was saying, but it was a perceived soreness level, and they said significantly. So I think it. I think the marker that they used was like over twenty percent difference or something. And then something I have with that. Again, all these studies, you know, me and you have already discussed that there's like there's missing pieces in it. A study like that, I would be curious on like. Well, what was the the at like the fitness level of all these said people? And I read something from a doctor who said that the tool's effectiveness may diminish with too frequent usage. Like if you use that massage gun every single day for weeks and months, and you're trying to recover, that it's actually your body's going to adapt to it, and it's going to become less effective. Yeah, well, and some of it is um, the way that they actually qualify the results and and the conversation around what they found so there's another two studies that i found and one of them is imtayas and others in 2014 and the other one is yodis and others in 2019 and they were talking about um they lead to early reduction of pain and in the conversation um afterwards they talked about how it could help prevent further injury um in subsequent exercise and further injury is a really interesting concept because it's like, well, are you talking about muscular damage? Or are you talking about actually like musculoskeletal injury? Yeah. And so then they, they talked about another one was Benito in 2019. He talked about like sit and reach test. They would do that. Then they'd apply percussive therapy and then they'd retest. But here's the thing that I have a problem with with that. With the sit and reach test, were they hammering the hamstring directly? Um so yeah better sit and reach score would be they said was a decreased risk of lower back injury so what they did is they applied it directly on the calves um, for knee injuries and then they did vibration therapy of the lower body meaning directly on the hamstrings and lower back to check the sit and reach scores Hmm. so in both of them they're like oh it improved after and it's like well yeah you know what else would improve it do it once, stand up, have a glass of water, or stand up and let me slap you in the mouth. Like, almost anything, you could actually just do it and do nothing, and you would have a better score. What's that called? So, Use um, the, find the big boy word. <laughs> um, it's uh, facilitation, neurological facilitation. Yeah, and that's like, that's something that, um, what do they do? They do that with magnetic bracelets in the mall, right? Hey, buddy, come over here. Oh, they did it with smart water. Let me push you over. Oh, see how, like, see how easy you fell over because you suck? But if I put this magnetic bracelet on your, wow, you're so stable now. Whoa. Oh, man, I used to watch people do the stand and reach test for smart water. They'd, you know, try to touch your toes, okay? Stand up. Now have a sip of this smart water. It's ionized. Such a hack. And then they would go and they're like, oh man, I went further. I need this water. I'm like, oh man. That water is game changing. You're not going to upregulate exponentially going forward. Sorry, what what was the word again? Neurological facilitation. Okay. So you you like that? It's it's not as big of a word as I thought it was going to be. I was like, can you make it bigger? No. Can't. You can't create okay words, <laughs> but, but my my biggest issue with this is like okay, well you could do almost you could do anything or nothing. I actually in class a few times have done like the laying hamstring test. I'm teaching people a mobility class, and I'll be like, okay, raise it up as high as you can. Good, good, good. Yeah, now squeeze that as high, hard as you can for a second. Good. Now put it down, and then I like circle around my own belly button and like diddle my belly button, boop, 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 boop. and then I say try it again, and I'm like. Ladies and gentlemen, look what I did by diddling my own belly button. The, the fact is that we can facilitate better movement via doing movements. So why don't we do that? Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at this, it's like, okay, well, does it improve circulation? I would say that's a check mark. Does improve circulation. To what end? Cha-ching. That's a bit of a question mark. To what end? Less um, muscle soreness afterwards. Was that all the studies that you had? You've mentioned three thus far. Uh, no, I have a few more. I think I've mentioned four, but yeah. Um, the next ones, um, we're talking about uh, Benito in 2019 and Fuller in 2015. And they're talking about, uh, Fuller was actually going like vibrating massage guns and stretching versus regular massage after exercise. Mm-hmm. And they found that there was no significant difference between the two um, when they were testing damage markers. So creatine kinase. Uh, common damage marker after CK. exercise. Yeah, CK. CK protein. Not Calvin Klein, though. Uh, but when they when they did that, there was like, oh, there's not that real significant difference between the two. It's like, okay, well, if we massage the same place, 
um, with percussion versus a massage therapist, they're saying there's no significant biochemical differences. I would be really interested to see what the actual function would be like Mm -hmm. and what the actual training applied was like, but that I don't know. And then, you know, getting back into Benito, he talked about, you know, pressure from massage guns and vibrating foam rollers, increased blood flow to the work muscles, increases movement of waste products away from the muscles, brings in more nutrients, which leads to quicker recovery. So recovery and circulation tend to kind of, they overlap in that fashion. I think you can see why. But the idea that the gun is as good as the therapist, I think is totally broken because they're just checking bio, biochemical markers. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's one of these things that as we get into it, um, you you see that it's like, okay, well, does it improve circulation? Yes. To what end? Well, less muscle soreness. That's That's a claim that they make, right? Mm-hmm. So less muscle soreness, perceived muscle soreness. And the study said that's actually a thing. That, yeah, especially at 40-hour mark. My question is, is that a good thing? Mm. And when we talk about the actual... To people who don't like pain, it is. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but if you have less sensation of something, that would mean less awareness of something, correct? Yeah. What is our goal in training? Theoretically, well, people want to look good really pretty they'd they'd like to look good the (laughs) best way to look good would be to be able to consistently exercise right yeah so if we're injured we can't do that and it's a problem when we look at something like a foam roller massage gun something like that part of what we're getting is neurological down regulation Mm -hmm. meaning if i apply pain to your quad the muscle will yield it'll it'll relax yeah is that a good thing that really depends on the situation but i'll tell you if i give you like a nine out of ten soreness you sitting there you'll be like you know what my generalized pain there is less Mm -hmm. your brain has a new standard for oh man this sucks so when you drop it off it's like it's like when you get in in water you're like oh this is cold but then you get in something colder and you're like oh man that changed my expression my thought of what cold is Mm -hmm. it's the same thing you apply pain to an area it's going to downregulate. So anything less than that is now less than that. It's weird. I'm going to go on a tangent because that's just what I like to do. But a random tangent, sorry. So you can pull me back. But everything you're just saying, I was thinking about that when I was walking the dog this morning about people's perceived level of stress and how it's relative. Being if this is your minimum stress and this is your maximum, well, your maximum is going to feel like a 10 out of 10 until you hit 20. And then you're going to have a new a new maximum and then that 10 might not be quite as important anymore or you explode into dysfunction or you spontaneously combust explode not implode anyways we can go back that's it actually bears mentioning because it is a neurological expression which Mm -hmm. is true of pain as well so it's like okay well i'm not saying that people with back pain are making it up or anything but the brain gets more of what it what it has right Mm -hmm. so if you notice pain there and you zone in on that it tends to be something that's escalating until you figure out how to de-escalate that. Mm-hmm. So some of, I have a back pain client that she's had a disc issue and spinal issues for ages. And one of the ways that I can get her to refocus and be away from it and say, I had a good day today is to make something else sore. I've had a very similar result with people that have uh, fibromyalgia. Just give them something for the neurological system to focus on rather than generalized pain and you often see big changes major pain did that to one of his comrades on the battlefield yeah <laughs> <laughs> broke his pinky yeah. Yeah. you want me to show you a little trick take he, your mind off that was, pain he was gonna do that to a four-year-old <laughs> yeah he was it was such a good movie uh but basically when we reframe pain we're down regulating your awareness of that tissue. And most of what we need is to give people better awareness of their ranges. Mm-hmm. So assess what range they have, improve their awareness of that range, improve their control, then their strength and watch what happens to their function. Yeah. But if we don't do that and we keep giving them say a bench press and keep loading the same motor unit over and over, if we're doing that on a faulty joint via the shoulder, it's not, if they break down it's when they break down and how bad yeah so it's going to bring you back and one of one of the strongest guys that i train he's bench pressing like 200 kgs at 200 pounds body weight and the big difference with him that's allowed him to get so strong is that he hasn't been hurt yeah so and that's because we protect his ranges of motion and make sure that he has awareness and control of the entire range and we don't really train well don't really we don't train him outside of the ranges he doesn't have control in 
Yeah, he probably hits a massage gun in between each set, obviously. You know what? Kyle does use a massage gun here and there, but before bed. And we'll talk about that later. So, But the concept here is, what is the actual result? Well, if we're using a massage gun or a foam roller, very similar triggers, it's like, well, I better train awareness back to that and train control back to that. Mm-hmm. So the, the real end game for me is not oh yeah, I'm just going to do this to my tissue and I'm all better. It's like, no, get up and take a wash, right? A walk, right? A wash, yeah. Take a wash. Go take a walk right after you've treated your hamstrings and come back and watch what will happen. They'll be exactly where they were before you left. Yeah. So what we want to do is facilitate the neurological system and show it you have control of this space and then utilize it to keep it. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's kind of nerdy. Do you follow me on that? I did, yeah. Um, I think that kind of starts to roll into, as you're talking about increasing ranges, this goes into the fact of one of the claims being improving flexibility and muscle plasticity. So one of the studies that I went through, I don't got the the names like you did. I just know this study was done in Australia. It was a range of motion and a, what is this, a maximum voluntary contraction test of the calves. Did you go over that one? Yes. So yeah. they basically had like 15, 15 or 20 like un, like medium trained males. So they weren't elite athletes, but they weren't sedentary. And they gunned them for five minutes on the calves and tested their range of motion and see if it improved. And they did see a pretty large improvement. Then they also tested a maximum contraction of the calf. And strength was basically the same. It flatlined. They had no improvement. But the end of that study was like, yeah, gunning, gunning the tissue like pre-workout can increase the range of motion and something me and you were talking about offline was i was like well you know a lot of people i find in a general pop like general population and like your local gym they might take that information or that that study and be like well i should gun myself pre-workout before i do my crossfit water before i do my squats because it's going to improve my range of motion for my squats but my question is if you didn't have that range of motion to begin with should you be loading it with your like working load weight And is that actually safe for you? Because you never own those ranges to begin with. It's like people who say, well, I squat way better when there's 200 pounds on my back. When it's body weight, I can't even get past 90. It's like I can only reach ass to grass when there's 200 excessive pounds pushing me down into it. The question I come back to is, is that a good thing? There's three types of range of motion. That's what I'm asking you. Yeah, people say that there's two types of range of motion, but there's three. So you have your active range of motion, fair, usually smaller than your passive should be within 15 percent otherwise we actually are primed for injury and then we also have this third type which is loaded range of motion and that can be either facilitated or inhibited Mm -hmm. meaning when i'm squatting if i put weight on my back it'll help me get lower yeah even if i don't own that area but if i do like a shoulder controlled articular rotation like a shoulder circle I do it without weight. That's my active range. I do it with weight. That's my active range. Guess what happens? It shrinks. Yeah. So that would be an inhibited range via load. And then there's uh, a facilitated range via load, which would be that getting deeper in a squat. When we start working into ranges that we, by definition, don't have control of, that means our passive tissues have to do more work. That means like joint capsules, um, ligamentous structures, cartilage structures that's a bad idea Mm -hmm. like i don't i don't think that's a good idea at all but people do it sometimes they get away with it is it a good practice though i would say no um when we start getting into like the other study that i i brought up with is um what is it de bonito de bonito and others uh, they talked about um, how vibration and non-vibration foam rolling can actually help dynamic balance and perceived joint stability after they've been through a system of fatigue. Meaning, again, it's talking about recovery, but the thing that I'm most interested in is how is the brain actually looking at what's happening? Are we helping ourselves function better? Because if we're doing anything, what we should be looking at is, is it helping me? Mm-hmm. Right? That's a fair statement to make. How do you figure out whether it's helping you? Well, improved stability, improved control, and awareness. We actually don't get a big win on percussive therapy with awareness. So I would actually say, if we're going to say that this is a good thing to do pre-workout, we need to make sure that it's actually helping us function better. Because I did find a study that was talking about decreased eccentric strength after 
Yeah, so I don't know if this goes hand in hand with that. Maybe not eccentric strength. There was some research that I was reading that talked about the GTO, like the Golgi Golgi tendon Golgi organ. Golgi tendon organ, yeah. yeah which it, it intentionally it inhibits contraction. So it can relax that. It'll say it's it may help relax sore muscles by stimulating the GTO. And the GTO inhibits con- like muscular contraction. Yeah, so Golgi tendon response would be like when you're when you try to stretch too far and then it shoots back and closes. Yeah. So if we can inhibit that action, that would allow us to go further, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can see, and, and that stands to reason because if it's making you less aware or notice pain less, you'll likely be able to stretch further. Mm-hmm. But again, my question is, is that a good thing? If you've tested somebody, say, let's let's take a good example. Let's, let's say shoulder extension. How much can you reach your arm behind you? Mm, got a wall there, so I can't do that really well. But you suck at that. I know, I <laughs> got the wall. Ah, yo, but... If you're testing shoulder extension and your active range is, say, 45 degrees, for argument's sake, but your passive range is 90 degrees, mm-hmm. that's like a, a difference of like 50%. Yeah. That's a serious issue. Like the more space you have between what you can control and what you can't, you can go somewhere that you, by definition, don't control. Injury. Injury, inflammation, annoyance, pain. We can call it all of that. Yeah. So... When we start talking about this, the, the question is, how does it, how does it function? Well, it, it stimulates the neurological system. It's, it's saying, okay, here's your new level of pain or awareness, and then everything else seems like it's less. So I'm actually going to go ahead and say for workout prep, it can work really good if not overdone. Yeah. Meaning if I can get a little bit more out of my calf and then I train that to take control of it, mm-hmm. very good thing. If I can get a little more out of my calf and I just kind of go and do squats and whatever else and take advantage of the fact that I can get there without questioning why can I get there and do I own that range, I would say that's a very negative thing. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be a lot of assessment and thought behind this. Circulation is a check mark. Neurological, I think we've talked about pretty heavily. We're going to see if we treat too much in the same tissue, we're going to see possible down regulation, meaning you're going to be less strong in eccentric contractions. So we don't want to overdo it before our workouts. But if we're using it for workout prep and we're using it as a method to get into the range we want to train, I would say it has tons of value. And then, you know, when we talk about soreness, we know, especially in the 48 hour window, it's going to be reduced as far as recovery um, because of circulation, things are going to be a little bit better, uh, especially in the 48 hour mark, we're going to feel a little bit less sore. But when we talk about soreness, can we chat briefly on the gate control theory of pain? Yeah, we can. Sounds yeah. Sounds hot. Gate control theory of pain. Let's talk about it. Um, I'm sure you can talk about it more than me, but essentially, like the way I would explain it to somebody is, um, it's like that neurological sensation of like, oh, you put your hand on the stove and it burns the finger, and you go, oh shit, and you start shaking your finger and you put it in your mouth and like you suck on it for a second. You're essentially like overloading, overloading like that system to distract yourself from that pain temporarily. That's right. So when you're gunning yourself, you're essentially kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, very similar. Like it, it's kind of the concept we were talking about. We can call it the major pain theory. Okay, perfect. Yeah, you break the baby finger. Speaking you're gonna, my language. You're going to notice that shot in the leg once you break a finger. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a really similar thing. Where like if we're if we're having an issue with a particular zone, can we re- deflect to another area, and will that help us out with that pain? I would say yes, for yeah. sure. Um, the question is. Is it a good thing? Because sometimes that focus on that area is a good thing, especially in acute injury. Like, hey, listen, my ankle hurts. Well, that's probably good because you shouldn't walk on it right now because you rolled it real bad. Yeah, it's, so, it hurts for a reason. Yeah. So again, it comes back to the same things that I talk to my clients about a lot. You know, it starts with awareness, then we're going to build function, and then we can start asking for performance. When we try to skip variables in there and go beyond what we actually have available, that's when we run into big issues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so muscle soreness, we can have some decrease in that. Uh, whether that's good or not is a, is kind of out for debate. But let's come back to the whole thing. Like, is it worth buying one of these? Here's what I'm going to position. I think that having the availability of one of these, when you do it under guidance of a trained professional, it's like, hey, listen, you have a shoulder. We've assessed the shoulder. Here's what you should be treating to help me out in between. After you treat it, here's how you train it. Very valuable. 
it can yeah. work. And I would say they are worth it. Um, if you're buying it and you're just going to free ball it and, and just hammer, you know what, my peck hurts. I'm going to smash my peck. Um, I would say that it's not worth it at that point. What about for people? Because I actually know people like this who are like, they just like, you know, I don't really know how to use it, but I just like hit the like almost my full body on the lowest setting, just kind of hit everywhere. It just feels good. It's kind of almost just like a recovery strategy at night. You know, just sitting in bed watching Netflix. You do a full body little gun session for 20 minutes just to feel good and then you go to sleep. I would say it's not going to hurt you. I would say that, but I'd say there's so much more value to be taken. Is it better than doing zero? I would actually say yes. Mm -hmm. My position is that it's still worth it, but that comes with a caveat. It's like, is it worth it? Yeah. Should we use it for some recovery work? Yeah. But as soon as you create gaps between what you can do passively and actively, we've got a big problem. So the caveat I'm going to give is if you're actively training your ranges. Okay. The last thing that I wanted to say on the matter before I like go into my conclusion, I guess, was um, I also read, and you can speak to this as well, but part of the tool's effectiveness was like how frequently you use it and you might get diminishing returns if it's something that you lean on every single day for your training. If you're just using it every like for a year straight, every session, that you'll get diminishing returns in, regard, in regards to its recovery benefits and you're better off cycling your different recovery purposes being like foam roll one day, do breath work day two, and then massage gun day three, and then maybe an ice bath day four, depending on whatever your recovery habits are and what you believe in. But it would be mixing it up and not just utilizing it like day in, day out. Yeah, so used used in a vacuum, one thing at a time, if you try to get maximum benefit out of that one thing, you're going to have diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. So hit training is a perfect example. It's kind of the rage right now. It's like, ooh, hit training. It's like, that's all training. Let's talk about that. Like, you're actually going to do something hard enough that you have to stop. That's called hit training. That's okay. If you're out doing cardio every day and you're doing hit training, the value of that, as far as the things that it purports to do, goes down the longer you do it in a row. Meaning if that's all you do, you're killing the value of it. Mm -hmm. What if you did, so most research will say, you know, after five bouts, you're no longer getting these big changes. So take a rest and go do something that's like zone two or zone three or even zone one and come back and apply it again and your body is going to be potentiated and ready to to use that stimulus again yeah but cycling almost anything is a good idea so is using that a great idea yeah i actually think that the diminishing returns would exist even if you're using it really well meaning i keep doing more and more challenging drills to challenge my end range well you're going to get to a point that's like well this is what your body can do like yeah. That's how that structure is made. You're not going to get more than that. So it's going to be diminishing anyway. But are you saying the possibilities are endless? Are they not endless? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying each person is going to get to their <laughs> genetic endpoint. Oh, I know. Elon Musk is going to challenge you on that. I swear. He's well, unless you start in, injecting <laughs> nucleic acid and you know, splicing genetics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even then, though, like a structure, like the shoulder, it's only going to give you so, so much, right? And how much do you actually need? Is it worth training past that point? Like how much shoulder extension do I really require? I had a uh, interesting podcast on E2 Performance with my other co-host LJ, where we actually had a, just a conversation, general fitness needs of Gen Pop right now. Like what does Gen Pop need to do? How much do they need to lift? How fast do they need to run? For how long? Big weird con like conversation that uh, we could maybe talk about one day, but we could come on E2 Performance and talk about it. We should do that. My conclusion to this, though, for me was this is a recovery-based tool, essentially. Maybe it has some other benefits other than just pure recovery, let's say. But for me, for Gen Pop, I feel I don't feel like it's a gimmick. Some people feel like it's a gimmick. I don't feel like it's a gimmick. But what I do feel like is it's a pretty expensive tool, and it's a very specific tool that not a lot of people know how to utilize. And if you're going to spend between 50 to $400 on this tool you better make sure that all your ducks are in a row on the other sides of recovery being like, you better make sure like every person I talk to is like, oh, I only get like four to five hours sleep, but that's enough for me. I'm like, is it though? So sleep, hydration and stress management. I'm a bit of a hippie, but I have a big belief in like writing in my gratitude journal and meditation and breath work for my personal stress management. Cause I've had bad stress over these last two years. Weird. It's not yeah. like life's changed, Weird. but yeah, just in general, all of your other like recovery strategies like nutrition, sleep, water, it all better be dialed in before you go and start spending money on extra toys. This is an extra toy. That's how I feel. Yeah, so I'm going to say 
let's not major on the minors. I think that's fair. You know, can they be worth it? Absolutely, they can. Mm-hmm. If if used well, especially if you have guidance. Um, but for the average person, where does the most value lie? This is like when we talked about BCAs. Do they have value? Yes. But for the average person, are they worth the investment? And on these, the answer can be yes or no. I'm going to say oftentimes people need to focus more on, you know, am I doing well with sleep? Mm-hmm. Am I doing well with my diet? Am I getting enough protein is, is kind of the commonality that's an issue. Yeah. And you heard me say, you know, BCAs, for somebody who's getting enough protein, don't make a difference. For somebody who's not, let her buck, man. Yeah. Get it. So it's very similar here. You've got this pyramid. And I'd like to say, you know, make the first step that's going to have the biggest impact. It's like, okay, so I'm going to get a more consistent diet with protein. Beautiful. I've got that. Okay, now now we can start adding other things. And I like to get people exercising first because they tend to be more uh, motivated to do their nutrition. But I don't really care. Is your exercise and nutrition pretty close in line? Yeah. Cool. How about your sleep? Good. Okay, those are the big three. Yeah. Once you have those three pretty locked in, then it's like, you know, can I add some other stuff? Is there value? My answer is yes. But again, let's not major in the minors. Let's focus on the big ones. And this is, we're going to come back a lot of times to this concept of, have I taken care of the, the lowest hanging fruit first? The other thing that I wanted to end on with this gun to maybe, maybe not end on, but less is more and these guns they keep getting them stronger meaner with harder hitting heads and all the research that i study was like you should not be hammering yourself at maximum power just because it's maximum power and you can you can handle that pain it, it was essentially less is more and you should be gunning yourself on the lower settings and spending less time than you think on the areas that you're trying to quote unquote recover fair deal let me ask you this how do you use your gun because you have one. You obviously have one. I definitely have one. There we go. And I bought it with money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you bought it with money and not blood. Yeah. Yeah. I should have. <laughs> no, um, honestly. Was it blood money? No, honestly, the story behind this gun is I, I've seen them around for a while and I was never really that bought into actually buying one because I didn't think that the benefits for me specifically were going to be like extreme. And I didn't think I'd be bought into utilizing it. My dad hit up this place called Crazy Bins in Calgary here, which is essentially an Amazon warehouse place that just sells stuff dirt cheap and he texts me like hey they got this gun and it's really really cheap did you want it and i was like mm, okay okay and i got it and i used it maybe once or twice playfully and then it's just been sitting in the box well i'll talk about mine you know yeah gun it so i got mine i wasn't really excited about it i sarah got it for me for my birthday actually yeah that's a baller gun sarah's baller sarah heavy yeah. baller did she buy she it with also, blood money too she's also scottish so you know she finds the right deal too oh, okay but she got it for me for my birthday and what i use it for is to deal with muscle spasticity caused by my condition mm-hmm. so what do i treat mainly i'm treating stuff that actually inhibits me from proper gait well mm-hmm. and at certain times, I have areas that are spastic, which is a very big annoyance. If I use that, I can inhibit the, the spasticity. So I have overactive tissue there. It wants to be tight. My toes want to be stuck pointed. For a reference for everybody, spasticity being like... Muscles stay cramped, like yeah, squeezed. Contracted. Yeah. So if, if that muscle in my calf stays cramped, then I, I have a hard time doing things that are normal. Mm-hmm. So can I use it and have a change there? Yeah. What I do is I treat my calf and then I will actually work on active range in a bent and straight leg environment to try to keep awareness of that tissue because that's my main issue. Yeah. I don't want to lose awareness. I don't want to lose range. So do I use mine? Yes. How often? Uh, Probably about twice, maybe three times a week, usually before bed, usually in a targeted uh, range changing workout so that's a fair amount though yeah so what i'm gonna say is yeah i do think they're worth it there's a few caveats to that and you know one of them is don't major in the minors get them get the basic stuff taken care of first but depending on your situation um they can be a very valuable tool and i'm you know i see jeff Cascelli at tower physio uh and he gives me a lot of really good stuff to work on them what i'm dealing with and so you know between my time in the industry which started in 06 meaning we're, we're rolling up what 16 years now um 
between the information I have and the information I get from my therapist, um, I think that it is valuable. Your biceps still look great for being an old man, by the way. <laughs> can you def- backhanded can compliment? Can you define old for me? Backhand, backhanded slap. When do you become old? That's hmm. Mm. My wife's grandma. She passed away at ninety-three. She lived alone the entire time, and she'd be like, "I'm picking up the old people for church today." And then we found out that they're like seventy. That's what I'm going to talk about with LJ on the podcast this Friday. Yeah. When do you become old? Uh, yeah, I would say when you start feeling that way, when you yield. Hmm. I asked her in her nineties. Sarah asked her. She's like, "Okay, so listen, how old do you feel?" She's like, "I don't know, somewhere in my mid seventies." She still her last last Christmas with us. She cooked Christmas dinner. Mm-hmm at her house and when she got pancreatic cancer she drove herself in her car at 93 to the hospice that she had planned and had her affairs in order she was a baller yeah like that's that's how you live life like a gangster yeah when do you feel like when do you get old like me and you just played at the playground this summer oh yeah other adults are probably driving by like look at these grown-ass men playing on the playground (laughs) Okay, Curtis, I'm going to do this, then you have to do it, and then you do something, and then I'll do it. It's a game of add-on. Well, my plan is to refuse to yield, and we'll see how that plays out. I like it. So. I like this episode. It was fun. Uh, Maybe I should reach out to some of my professionals and see if they can educate me a little bit on if I want to use this thing, where I should. There you go. Well, thanks for, uh, if you're here still, thanks for joining us. Um, Instagram, we have eric.berg, is it, with an E? Indeed. And then I'm coachkirk.h. You know, throw us a like, throw us a follow, and uh, yeah, we'll see you in the future. We're going to be releasing reels on each of our episodes, and they're probably going to be ridiculous, so go and (laughs) peep those, check them out. We have fun with it. Beauty.